Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Burris. Despite dropping out of school at the age of 16, our guest this week has proven that you don't have to have a university degree, and he's done that by recently winning the 2019 Telstra Victoria Business of the Year. His name? It's James Dutton. What's his business? It's called NutraCare. His product is called Patch. It's a bandage. It's the first 100% compostable bandage. It's an organic bandage. It's now stocked in 35 countries around the world and is present in 20,000 retailers around the world. And he's done that in four years. I'm going to ask James how he went from being a carpenter's apprentice to then working at JB Hi-Fi, one of Australia's big retailers, and learning how to pack shelves and how to sell stuff and how he's taken that experience to running this global retail product present in so many retail outlets around the world. He takes us right through the journey. So let's get into it. James Dutton, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you, Mark. How are you? Good, mate. Uh, Well, I've just been looking at your products here. I've got in front of me the, uh, I know what it is, it's a cylinder that uh, has obviously got a whole lot of Band-Aids in there. I guess they're not called Band-Aids, they're called Patches. Yes. (laughs) Because Band-Aid's a brand, isn't it? That's right. That's yeah. a, it's a, it is a brand, but um, yeah, we, we're trying to shape shift it a little bit. Yeah, we're now talking about patches, the new uh, brand. That's right. Um, okay, well, I don't want to talk about that just yet. Um, I want to talk to you about you. How, how's that sound, eh? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you just flown in from London. Uh, thanks very much. Do um, you, you live in London now? No, living in Melbourne. Um, Melbourne. But uh, pretty much living on the road. I've been on the road for the last 12 months. Uh, pretty much in every country around the world. Well, um, doing roadshows, selling roadshows, products. Roadshows, selling the product, never giving up. Yep. Um, long journey. Yeah. Uh, but uh, back on home soil now for- Are you from Sydney? Uh, from Melbourne. You're from Melbourne. Yep. So just, uh, well, I mean, I, I can't really tell how old you are, but uh, you're probably maybe late 30s or something, so- Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you got it right. <laughs> maybe you're a little bit older. Um, and uh, But I, I'm guessing there's a good backstory here. Um because you don't look like, a, with the greatest respect, a, a sort of some a square-looking scientist guy who's uh, went through university, did a science degree, and has been studying um, alternative um, alternative patches. Um, where did you start off, mate? Like, if you, I mean, I don't, it never ceases to amaze me how people get into their line of business. So, where did you start off? 
Um, well, my entrepreneurial start was basically probably the age of five or six, making bread for neighbours and selling it to their houses uh, in the mornings. Um, but um, I was at a private school at Scotch College in Melbourne. And, Scotch. Um, Scotch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the and, one. Uh, Very expensive and school, actually. It was an expensive school. Um, and at the age of 16, I sort of had the inkling that um, I was a bit more of a hands-on guy. So I actually left Scotch and went off and did a building apprenticeship uh, with a company called Stonehenge Homes. Um, and going from a private school into a Holmesland TAFE was uh, a journey. Um but I actually ended up working on a lot of my friends' houses, uh, parents' houses that uh, I was going to school with in in Turak and uh, and Hawthorne. So it was quite quite ironic how it all fitted together. So you sort of, I mean, I guess, what, did your parents by sending you to Scotch, which is a, I don't know, is it a GPS school, one of those sort of schools down there? I, I don't know what the Victorian landscape looks like, but it's, you know, it's like it's be expensive, fancy school, which by the way, my sons went to, um, and. They'll probably think to themselves, we're going to groom this boy to be coming to their business or become a professional person. But that's the sort of general profile. Um, do you feel like you disappointed them or do they feel like you were a disappointment at any stage? Um, not really. Look, it was one of those decisions that um, we all came together with. Um, I had a lot of support from my former master at school, which was Robert Doyle, uh, the ex-Lord Mayor of Melbourne. And he was the one who supported me at the school level. Uh, and then mum and dad, my grandfather was a carpenter. And um, mum and dad supported all my decision all the way through. And that's what sort of gave me the energy and the power to sort of go through and start that phase of my career. But did you th- do you feel like you needed that energy or power? Do you think, do you, I mean, do you think you needed that support? How important was that? I mean, if you hadn't had it, what, would you think you would have gone off the rails perhaps? Or No, I still think I would have gone and done it. Yeah. Um, I'm a very passionate person. I'm very, uh, very driven. Everybody that knows me knows that I don't, I don't stop. And uh, that's just in my nature. So, and w- when you say we were more hands-on, I mean, does that mean you don't like studying or you didn't like studying or you didn't like uh, – or you just, and you just want to go and use your hands to build things? Um, it was more practical sense. It was just basically I wasn't, wasn't yelling in the, in the classroom doing the, doing the reading and writing. Like a lot of kids probably go through that phase of, of their adolescent times. But um, it was one of those things that I just wanted to apply myself back then. So the path was to go down that way and I enjoyed woodworking at school and – uh, had great support from the teachers in doing that, and uh, they could see some spark in where I wanted to, what I wanted to do, and where I wanted to go. So, I did get support, um, and uh, it made the journey a little bit easier. But uh, I've had a few ups and downs from those days, and uh, worked our way up into this business now, which is. Um, what well, did just go back a step before yeah. you go into this business? So, what did you do? Did you become a carpenter, or I did, or a builder, um, or yeah, and then I went off and started doing uh, boofing boxes at. JB Hi-Fi in the back storeroom. You start doing what? What, what, what? what they classify as boofing boxes. What is that? Loading boxes into the storeroom at a JB Hi-Fi store. Um, after your apprenticeship? After my apprenticeship. So why didn't you stay as a builder? Um, I, because I started, I, I love building. I love building with my hands and I started yeah. to get a bit um, tired of working and, and pushing a broom. Um, so oh, You mean on the building sites? On the building sites. Because they so just gave you the shit jobs basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and those days in an apprenticeship it was hard work. Yeah. Um, but um, look, I started doing for extra cash while I was doing my building, and uh, and it took over because I started to see a passion in in the what sale. Is that? What, what is that? What, what are you talking about? What, what was it you doing, JB? I don't know what that is. Um, so basically, as stock would come in, I'd be loading stock up into the into the storeroom and then putting it out on the floor. Um, right. Just extra cash at yeah, the time. So you're doing um, the, run a, the work in the work, storeroom, yeah. The grunt work out the back. Um, then I worked my way up into car audio, and then. Uh, 
worked into a car audio manager and then the rest is sort of history from that side. It was uh, progression up into management and, uh, and so you left what your I did. carpentry job. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you so, became a manager of a, one of the stores. One of the stores, and then I moved. They were franchise, aren't they? They were. Yep. Yeah. And uh, at the time, they weren't. Um, they were early stage. Um, and uh, I did uh, sort of an apprenticeship in in retail sales along the way, which uh, I learned a lot from the days in uh, working with some pretty sensational people that gave me a lot of lot of love and support, um, more like a family as well. And uh, we enjoyed what we did. It was a lot of fun and. Learned a lot along the way as well. Yeah, like, uh, well, well, okay, well, most people sort of listening, you say, well, hang on, like, you worked at JB Hi-Fi in the storeroom and selling earphones or whatever it is, telephones, mobile phones, all the stuff you buy at JB Hi-Fi in those days. How do you reckon that really equipped you to do what you do today? Um, what skills you get? Hard I, skill. Look, hard skills was um, learning how to adapt, um, learning how to read people, um, Learning how to manage people and how to give support. I, but, yeah, but, but I would say they're soft skills, James. I mean, they're they're your emotional skills. Mm. But I, I just let's just I'll come back to those. But like hard skills, what I mean by is, did you learn about um, I don't know uh, where things sit on a shelf, how, um, to, how to market things, those sort of skills. Did you get that at JB Hi-Fi? Sure did. That was that was the number one skill that we learned on the way in getting into the car audio section was. Um, uh, and that was just one section of it, but the old days of the 99 cent CDs out the front and the bin and the sacrifice of, of, uh, putting the sacrificial lamb out. So that we used to say, um, explain that was just the psychology of a buyer, what the touch points were, how, what the journey map, uh, is between the consumer walking past the front of the store to getting enticed to come in to, to making a sale or making a further sale it was always the smarts that JP boys had, uh, in the early days, and it was basically the roadmap of a consumer and what the consumer needs to see or gets triggered to make a sale. Yeah, so like the, 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 yeah, so like, and what in terms of, I mean, I don't know how JB Hi-Fi works, but like in terms of shelf space, so let's say, um, I don't know, let's say I'm a radio manufacturer, car radio manufacturer in those days. It's a bit weird today, but like in those <laughs> days. Um, I needed to get shelf space to sell my product. And I'm competing with everybody else. Like, you know, mine might be Sony and someone else might be Sanyo and blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to get shelf space and position on the shelf space. I don't want to be at the lowest shelf. I want to be, don't want to be at the top shelf. Sort of probably the best way to describe this is called merchandising. Yep. So did you learn merchandising at JB Hi-Fi? Sure did. And that's that's what's coming back into into my life right now. 100%. All, all the old skills from back then. So explain that. I mean, um, what is merchandising? Because people listening to this, I mean, if you're, you're going to sell yourself retail, you've got to know about merchandising. I mean, I, I, mean, I think merchandising is an unsung hero of retail sales. Mm. Coles, we know it. Woolworths know it. JB Hi-Fi know it. All the hotshots know it. Every, Harvey Norman, you know, the good guys. Bingley, they know about shelf space, marketing, products, merchandising. How does it work? What did you learn? Um, the things I learned was um, about the enticement behind the consumer's eye, what they wanted to see when they wanted to see it and what we wanted to push at that time. On the flip side of that, I'm actually on the reverse side of that now where I'm trying to promote my products up to the, yeah, up totally. that position. So it's a, it's a learning curve going through what we're doing now to what we learned back then. But back then it was all about giving customers what they want but also to negotiating with the radio companies like Sony and Panasonic and, and Pioneer and those brands 
where they wanted to be placed and how we wanted to obviously push And how product. do you do it? I mean, like, let's say I'm Pioneer and I come and say, oh, shit, I've got a brand new hotshot radio and I need to get on top of um, my competitor, which is Sony. Am I in a position, do I have to pay? I'm like, how does it work? Do, let's say I'm selling my radios at 100 bucks. Does JB Hi-Fi say to me, every for every $100 sale, I'm going to take 30? I mean, how does it work? Yeah, it's it's pay to play. Um, it was, which it means? Was basically, if you're a seller of goods to JB, yeah. um, you would have to obviously work on discounts and work on strategies around enticing the guys on the floor to actually sell your product. Right. Right now, it's it's very much a pay to play with a lot of the retail landscape. Is um, it? Uh, if you don't pay, uh, if you don't get shelf presence, and then if you don't... Uh, don't perform, which is the the most critical part about having a product on the shelf, is the off off shelf velocity and and getting a product off the shelf is the number one drive right now. It's one thing to sell a product in, uh, but the method behind selling a product off the shelf and getting it out of the out of the store um, that's the tricky tricky strategy now. So that's so that, that, that's the, and these and by the way these are the skills you don't hard skills you don't get at university. You get no, no soft skills at university. You don't get these hard skills at university. But and I, mean, I often say that you get knowledge out of university. You, ha- you learn how to learn, but you don't come out with any skills. And you know skills is really what you need at the end of the day. That's what that's what you execute with. Um, just explain to me off the shelf, on the shelf. So what you're saying because a lot of people you know who listen to this have got a product they want to put in Woolworths or Coles. They don't know how to. Or JB Hi-Fi, for that matter. They don't know how to get into these environments. And it's, you're saying it's not about just convincing them that you get on the shelf. It's about in order to stay on the shelf, you have to work out how to get it off the shelf. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. And that's the conversion conversion stage that you have to have to think about before you even start there. Um, Explain that. Um, well, basically, look when you when you've got a product that's going out to retail landscape uh, in the early stage of of our products hitting the shelf. We used to celebrate and get really excited about ranging it in, but we soon soon realised that the methodology has to be about how do we sell it through and get it off the shelf as well. So yeah, how it's do we one thing to get it on the shelf? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if you if you're a product and you're paying the numbers that you have to pay to play, can you explain that? I mean, okay, so, so just I just want to step this out a little bit because a lot of people, very few people actually have had the experience of what you had. Yep, and a lot of people want to do this. So first and foremost, you're saying you got to. Get, to get it on the shelf at the big retailer, which is how you market and distribute your product, you got to pay to play. In other words, you got to pay money. Yes, is that right? Pay yep. money, actual pay money. Actually, pay money. So, so like, not only do you put it, you, you, you got to build your stock and manufacture it and get it delivered and put it on the shelf, but you've got to pay money to get there. Yep, that's, that's a right. marketing cost. Yep, it's a marketing cost. So how much do you pay? What, they, what they classify as a slotting fee or a, uh, a slotting fee, slotting fee or a yeah. line-in fee. Uh, um, a what? A what? What? A line-in. A line-in. So line is that here or anywhere? It, it, right around the world. Yeah, same um, same terminology Same much. terminology. Um, uh, in different retail, I won't, I won't name any names, no, but don't, yeah, um, yeah. it's normally between roughly between ten dollars to $20,000 per product SKU. Right, so, you, so let's say so we've got one product here. Is, is this one product that that's I've got? one product SKU right so there. So I've got one product SKU, which is um, a patch. It's the glasses. activated charcoal. Okay, Hatch. it's a ba- uh, black bamboo, hypoenergetic, uh, breathable bandage. Yep, that's right. Correct. Yep, and that's one skew. That's one skew. Uh, you've got four of these, four different types here, but that's just one. So you got to pay to get that on the shelf between ten to twenty thousand dollars per skew. 
for a year or for that's just to get it into the store just to, just on that stage yep. just an entry entry fee just an entry fee to get it on the shelf right. um, wow that's that's how these organizations make all the dough that's it so it's all about um, marketing uh, internal marketing into their own catalogs and uh, and their own media channels um, do you have to pay that on top of the yeah, sure ten do. or twenty thousand? So, sure do. so, so you, pay, you draw a check for ten or twenty grand. Say thank you. I'm now now I've got the right entry. Right, it's like trying to enrol your kid at a private school. You got to pay to do the enrolment, just the first, application. First and foremost, you have to get the product actually excited for the buyer, um, and then obviously present the product through so the buyer gets excited about what you've got. You're talking not you're not talking about the consumer buyer. You're talking no, about you're the talking buyer, about the retail buyer, the, the buyer from the organisation who's correct. trying to stock your product. Yep. So first and foremost, you've got to win them over. How, how do you do, what do you do there? What did you do? Um, what did I do? I did uh, a lot of groundwork, a lot of phone calls, uh, a lot of not giving up just to get the opportunity to have a meeting. I think I resonate with uh, one of your discussions previously on one of the other podcasts about how you went and sat down at a, outside a, uh, Dutch a, bank. a Dutch the Dutch bank. Um, and my side of things, I did that probably close to 500 times in uh, – in getting the product into store, um, we've we've also too we've got it into certain stores and we've actually actually took it off the shelf because they just didn't get what we were about and and the initial cost of getting it in there it was more worth more for us to take it off the shelf rather than stay on the shelf and uh, jeopardise the brand. So uh, that's interesting. So I, I just um, going back to this like this amazes me. Um, you pay between ten and twenty thousand dollars intro fee. But that's only after you've actually talked him into actually stocking it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And in order to stock it in the first place, you're going to get a meeting. So before you even get a chance to talk him into stocking it, in other words, making your pitch, you've got to actually get a meeting that's correct. With, with the buyer from the organization you're dealing with. Like, let's say it's Coles, Woolworths, JB Hi-Fi, it doesn't really matter who it is. You've got to have a conversation with that organization or that buyer person. There's a person who's very powerful or a number of people who are very correct. powerful. Yep. And how do you find the person that you got to talk to? It's called the old Yellow Pages. Yellow Pages, <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, literally, was it? Well, it's a thing called LinkedIn these days, which makes uh, makes the journey a little bit easier. Um, but a lot of it's been my power, and what I'm I'm very good at is building relationships. Um, but how did you get to them in the first place? You got to get to them. You got to get to them, um, and it's about networking. It's about um, doing your research, finding out who who you've got to speak to. You pick your um, your key stores that you want to be in to start with, and then just don't stop until you get them. I'm back here with James Dutton. He's from NutriCare. He's got a product called Patch or a variety of products that come under the Patch brand. It's an alternative uh, bandage. It's a natural bamboo strips. We've got them here in front of me. They look pretty cool, beautifully packaged, and it's very environmental. But I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I'm absolutely fascinated with how the hell he kicked this thing off. I mean, we've gone through his history, but I want to know how he kicked it off in terms of getting it retailed. Mate, take me through... How you actually got your first four SKUs, which are these cylinders here with your patch bandages in them, onto the shelves of a major retailer. Right from the very beginning, like, how'd you find the major retailer? Who'd you talk to, et cetera? Sure, Ken. Um, well, look, basically the first first and foremost was obviously aligning the retailers that we thought would be the right fit for the brand looking for the low-hanging fruit um, and how do we present the product in 
uh, was basically under the fact of what I actually did do in the early days was I actually took mock-ups of my product um, to shopping centres and I threw them at consumers and I asked them, what, it, what is it? Because I wanted to make sure the product could actually sell, sell itself. Um, so I did various different research, research. On, on the ground, um, asking mums and throwing the product at people to sort of get their first imp- impression about what the product is. You mean is. the packaging the or packaging the actual product itself, inside? The yep. physical packaging right. itself. Because right. if, if the packaging doesn't sell what's inside, yep. you, you're in a pretty bad position. So obviously the first and foremost was to get the packaging and the product right. Yep. Um, I had a very unique proposition with the product and a lot of upsell for the for the buyers. So my presentation that I'm- When you say buyers, you're talking about- The retail- The retail buyer for the organization who's going to sell your stuff. Correct. That's correct. And I had some unique proposition whereby other products didn't have that, that uh, position. What were they? Um, the fact is, is that my son, uh, Charlie, who actually had a reaction to a wound care product, that's why it all began- uh, was one of one of uh, 20, 25% of the market that actually can't wear products off the shelf. So we had a position whereby we could lift category value um, for the for the category itself. Um, yeah, so what you basically said, let's stop you there. What you basically said to the, the, the buyer for the retail organisation you're trying to stock in, you said, you're not, you're not selling to 25% of the whole market. That's correct. And they went, oh, fuck. Yep. We're missing out on a quarter of our potential buyers. That's correct. It's not a bad uh, start. It's a good starting point. The second point was that the other products- So that's the, uplift. That's uplift, right? Um, the other thing was working out how much shelf space they've got and how do I increase customer um, solutions for them um, and also provide more more category value. What do you value. mean by that shelf space? So giving them more category value. So What does that mean? For a customer, um, when they go into a category, into a retail store, they want to try and find a product for a specific use. Hmm. So if I can fit four products on the shelf versus two other products that they've got on the shelf, I'm going to give them more selection for the customer. So I add more value to the category. I add more category lift to the category. Well, um, let's just stop there. What you mean is you're giving the, the customer your, your – Helping the retailer sell more to the customer because the customer's got more choice, one. That's right. And two, the, your your product is actually, in addition to the other products on the shelf, other people's products on the shelf, is addressing another 25% of the market that it was not previously addressing. That's correct. So you're giving them uplift. They're uplift. the two things, yep. yep. So we're not, we're not going in there as a price war against the other products yeah, as yep, well. Yep. We're actually giving them more satisfaction for the consumer. Yep. Um, and obviously more bottom line in their till. So. Yep. My, my presentation was really about talking about the problem in the category um, that they're not aware of, my key selling points um, into the category, and then showing them what the product was, um, was the second stage of the, of the presentation. And then the third part of the so presentation- So let's, let's talk about that, that the yeah, second so part. The second part, obviously the four products that we've got, uh, we've got them for different purposes. Um, so we wanted to show, showcase each of their benefits behind the, the products. How'd you do that? Just by one by one on a on a few on a on a slide, um, keeping it very simple because the buyer, um, the way the buyers look at products and the way the buyer you've got the presentation of fifteen minutes with them to do do your work. So to, to quickly tell everybody, you only got fifteen minutes to present. That's what they say. You fifteen, 15 minutes? 15, 20 minutes max. Yeah. But well, can I just go back? Sorry, James. How did you get to the buyer? I, I, I got an, because like you know these individuals today we were getting hit hit up on LinkedIn by. Fucking everybody. Like, how the hell did you get into that? How'd you find it, person? Um, just basically due to the way that I work. Um, I went through our key retailers that we wanted to be in, mm-hmm. um, assessed and tried to find out through people in the industry just by reaching out, trying to find the right person to speak to, 
using the old phone and picking up mm-hmm. and calling, calling cold. Um, and just trying to find out who the buyer was for a specific category. Um, that was the first and foremost. How do you deal with your disappointments, you know, and your frustrations when you're, fuck, I mean, I'm sick of, I mean, I can't do that. That process that, you know, you hear people all the time. I mean, I hear I'm them still, all the time. I, st- I still get them now. But um, well, how did you, you know, do it? Like, what, what did you um, do? You, you just, why do you do it? I, why do I do it? Mm. Is because of the why. My why is my drive. Um, you believe in it. I believe in the product. I believe in helping people with mm. a solution that can actually help the, help the consumer and help the environment. Um, we, we started off not that environmentally friendly. We had a, a biodegradable plastic film on one side, which was still biodegradable, but it wasn't, wasn't the best. Um, and we... We sort of, I, I believe in what we're doing. We've got some um, consumer feedback coming in every day about how we're helping children get back out in the playing field and not worried about putting putting adhesives on the skin because they, they don't react to our product, um, which is, it's phenomenal. As a father, and you have that sort of problem happen to your son, and believe me, it was quite a, uh, an emotional, emotional time when um, it reacted on his skin and then I, I tore his skin off with the product that I used. Um, it was pretty, pretty gut-wrenching. Um, then the, every other product I tried at the time, just as a typical father kept on reacting on his skin. So I, I, that's when I started doing the research on it. So when you've got a product that you well, can I just, is it the plastic that the combination, it's different, different materials, different componentry. Um, there's not one brand that's causing one problem. Um, it's just a combination of different components, different materials and, uh, different, different way that things are being prepared for the consumer that doesn't need to be there. So you're saying to me, and I want I want everyone to listen to this because you know I often say this: understanding your purpose of your business. When you can't work out how to fucking fix something, in other words, how do I, how the hell do I get on the shelves? You go back to your purpose. And so, because you know, like in life, in business, like you're you you know you're raising a child, you're trying to build a business. You know, obviously, you got a wife and maybe other kids. One, two, more, two, two kids. Boys, yeah. Um, you got all the usual shit going on in your life. You probably got to pay a mortgage. You got to pay rent. You got to pay food. You got to get kids to school. You know all that sort of stuff. And and you and you know and then you got all your extended issues in your life. I mean, everyone has them. And then you get knocked back, and you're thinking to yourself, "Fuck!" And then you you got have the ability to you can concentrate on everything, and you get nothing done because you're looking at too many fucking things. You're overthinking everything, or you can uh, do what you did and you kept go back to you and say, hang on, why am I doing this? And then that actually helps you get through all this bullshit. It does. Um, you focus on your goal of where, where you want to get to. My goal for this business is to be in every household around the world. So my goal is pretty big. Yeah, um, good. This, this product's not going to be the only one that does that. Our further extensions of what we're doing now will become closer to the, towards those goals. Um, and so we, I just want to stop you. So, yeah, yeah because this is brilliant. Like, uh, so... You have a big goal and you concentrate on the big goal. You put more weight on your big goal and more weight on your purpose and all the other shit that's going on, which, which is completely down. Then you eventually f- find the dude you've got to talk to. That's right. And you've got 15 minutes. Yep, that's right. And then you tell them – it's nearly an algorithm. Uh, you nearly, the algorithm is I can give you more choices – because for them, at the end of the day, it's selling more of this shit because they want to sell more of this yep. stuff, and they want to give the customer, their customers, are coming to their their you know center, a better experience. In other words, you're just one of the experiences, but there's a whole lot of experiences. So you're selling to the buyer, right? So you've, the algorithm is how can they sell more of and give the the customer a better experience by having more choice? 
That's correct. That, that, and that's that's the algorithm. And whatever yeah. the weighting is, I don't know what the weighting is. There's they, probably some weighting. They, they work on their margin. Obviously, they, they want their margins. They want their slotting fees. And, and, and you pay them up front. And then, and then and, and how do you get it off the shelf? Well, that's, that's the next point. So yeah. that's when their marketing divisions kick into play and they, right. they want you to spend money in catalogue and – and so they, they present your catalogue and they say, okay, James, we're going to put a catalogue out tomorrow yep. um, or this month, whatever it is, and you're, you, we want you to feature in there because we want you to sell the product and get it off the shelf. That's right. And you pay. Well, that's, that's, that's the model. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, from our side is, is how do we spend that money the, in the most effective way? In um, marketing. In marketing. So what we've done uh, all the way along is obviously go to them with a marketing plan of what we do and how we do it. Um, in addition to what in they do, in addition to what they do, to try and obviously make sure that we're spending the money in the right zone. So, if they ask me for a catalogue, I've already got a reason why I'm spending money on TV. I'm spending money in digital media. I'm spending money in education to the consumer, um, so I can basically deflect a lot of that step, those steps along the way. So, um, it, it's a challenge because you need to um, obviously appease them and keep them happy and. And we've done a good job of that now. Um, but it's one of those things that I, I, I believe that we can always spend our money in a lot broader sense outside of their catalogue. Um, definitely you need to encourage and work with their, their marketing So what would you teams. be doing? So, for example, would, I mean, these days anyway, would, is it like uh, Instagram or Facebook or um, uh, a typical television, advertised radio? What is it? First and foremost is about PR um, and driving the brand through education. Um, second point would when come you mean into, PR, sorry, sorry, James, I want to interrupt. You, you know this stuff, but yep. the listeners don't. So when you say PR, you're talking about um, articles, articles about educating the products, yeah, and benefits. Wh- how do you get? To, how do you do that? Do you use a PR firm? PR firm, yeah, um, here or overseas. We've or? now got we've now got four four firms running for us: one yep. in Australia, one in the UK, one in Belgium, one in the US. Yep. Um, now, can I ask you, do you go pick a big firm with lots of reach or how do you do that? I've, I've had a lot of, that's probably been one of the biggest, um, or probably the hardest journey is obviously picking the right PR firm to work with all the way through. There's, but there's a lot of firms out there that say they do PR. Um, but, uh, we've now found the, the golden eggs, um, and they're doing an amazing job. So that is, and I, I'm going to interrupt you again, but that yep. is about finding, for me, my experience, and I wonder if this is the same for you, is not the firm so much as finding the individual who knows the journalists at the newspaper and or at the radio station and or at wherever, television, you know, it could be current affair, whatever it is, who actually can place your con- your product and content into that person's TV show or their newspaper article right. or their radio column. Yep. Yep. That's correct. It's not about the firm. It's about the individual. It's about the individual that gets it gets it through and obviously um, talks about the benefits by, of what we've got. Um, Can I just stop you? Because I'm sorry, I keep yeah. stopping you, but I, it's really important because because you're, you're throwing all these little nuggets out there and, you know, you're just throwing them out there because you're used to it. But these are great nuggets. Um, you know, there's brilliant stuff. This is like, you know, finding something, you know, the big nugget, a big a little a, a hill end or something like that for me. In order for that PR stuff to work, you need a an individual who knows – what the the direction of the radio station is, for example, in fact, the radio show on the radio station that you're trying to uh, push your product into for PR, and you nearly need to know what the producer of that radio shows what drives them, what 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 their client base, their customer base, their listeners are looking for. That's right. And that so individual that you're talking about, that PR person, needs to be totally tuned in to what the and needs to be able to ring the producer up and say. 
Hey, Liv, how you going? Uh, I've got this great product that I know your listeners will be really interested in. That's correct. It's called Patch and it's a bandage and blah, blah, blah. So it's not about the firm. It's about the individual and you've got to find that individual. And you can fuck it up. You can make a lot of mistakes. And in each territory, you're talking about US, Europe, Australia, they're all different. Totally. So, so, okay, so so you're going to convince – then you're going to convince – so James, your business, you've got to convince – the person who you're selling your product to in the in the shopping centre, that you've got the right PR program. That's right, and that that's a big deal. But it is. this is real complex shit, like it is. Uh, as as mathematical as algorithmic. You've got to work this stuff out. It's really heavy duty planning. So you you've got the PR. So that's part of your marketing plan to convince, let's call major retailer that they should hold your product because when it comes to marketing, you've got the right PR plan in terms that's of marketing. Correct. What about in terms of um? Above the line advertising. So above the line, then we then we kick into digital. Uh, one because it's low hanging, uh, low hanging fruit. It's very it's cheap, cost effective. Fast, it's fast. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's Which digital do you use? What do you use? Uh, we use Facebook and Instagram. Right. Um, Twitter and uh, at LinkedIn are a lot more about business comms. Yeah. yeah. Um, and more customer service on LinkedIn, on specifically on uh, Twitter. Um, but effectively across Facebook, Instagram, they're the two that we use um, quite heavily. Yeah, the um, visuals, they're good. And uh, what do you do? You use kids in it, like being um, happy. It's, li- it's lots of lots of all sorts of stuff. <laughs> uh, it can be walking a dog with a patch on it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. patches the dog. But uh, we've got our own little mascot, our panda that's uh, right. that sits on everything. These so you got days. a mascot. Yep, we've yeah, got a good. mascot to make it fun. I see um, that you've got a mascot sitting on yep. a bicycle here. Um, that's pretty cool. And a uh, panda, and a, a, a little panda. Yeah, that, pan, cool. that pandas now that we've uh, we've got one in every country now that and uh, or one in every region Why'd around you the world. Panda? Um, it was actually quite funny. We actually had a whole series of different uh, caricatures for the for the kids product, which is this product here, the uh, the little one um, with the coconut oil on it. Um, but the uh, we That's we cute. we took patches the dog. We had a cat. We had a hippo. We had a giraffe. I think. What uh, about a koala? No koalas. No koala in there. Uh, but we took. Uh, all these different caricatures on place cards, and I took them into my eldest son's school, and we held it up in front of the younger kids and the older kids and boys and girls, and the one that every child kept on gravitating to out of all of the caricatures that we had was the panda. That's mad. So, so that's great research. It, was, it wasn't about having the the bamboo fibre, yeah, even yeah, yeah. though it fitted perfectly. Um, well, the kids don't get yeah, that. It was like <laughs> that was I it. think the packaging is unreal. Like it's like it feels good. It, it it's light. It's not heavy. It feels good. It feels like it would dis- disintegrate. Like I mean, I mean, it's fully naturally, compostable. yeah, it's fully compostable. The whole the whole product that you're holding in your hand, right off the shelf. So, so there's no weird stuff like bleach in there and all that no shit. There's no plastic. There's yeah. no bleach. There's no latex. No, but it feels no good toxins. too. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a it's a good shape. It feels good. It's good size. Um, good color. I love the panda, but it's it actually quite brilliant. I think the Thank you. The, the packaging is quite brilliant, and I I can't read all this stuff at the back because I'm wearing glasses on. But like I, I guess that's your explanation of the back. Yeah, that's that's the the regulatory explanations that we need to carry on yep. the product, and uh, we are a class one medical device. We're registered uh, uh, in every region that we're selling the product now around the world. Uh, that's that's a journey in itself. It's one thing to be a product out and go through the the selling process, like I've I've sort of partly gone through with you, but. That's one part of it. The other part of it is obviously having a um, the regulatory that we have had to had to go through and argue with um, on bringing a natural product out into this category has been pretty. Uh, it's another whole discussion, but yeah, yeah. Um, but we've been able to do it now, and uh, we've got it out through the markets, including into most recently we just had the Health Canada 
uh, fully endorse the product. One, because uh, one of the people that were actually assessing the product is actually allergic to wound care dressing. So it was uh, it was just by chance that that happened and uh, we got some amazing feedback from her as well. So, the, so like, uh, I, mean, I mean, I wish I had two hours with you, not 40 minutes. Uh, this is quite a, to me, quite a brilliant product when I look at everything that's gone into it. I mean, it's, you just haven't made bandages. I mean, you, it's the packaging is awesome. You've gone through the process of getting it stocked. That process and having achieved that process is quite awesome. Like it's ridiculously difficult and to get in and it's ridiculously difficult then to stay on and right. or to get off the shelf, more importantly, to stay in the joint. And you sort of hit every point. I mean, like every part of it. I mean, everything Everything about it looks wonderful. I mean, I, I guess in some respects what's ridiculous about it, this is this fucking crazy thing to say, but one of the greatest things you ever did was go and work at JB Hi-Fi. That's right. Um, who would have thought? Um, and who would have thought that? Still in contact with all the people I work with there. Um, it's madness. Like it, yeah. that's your university degree. That's right. Yeah, yeah and, that and you went and did you, it on the ground. And 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 you took that and you, you took that and you got a lot of skills, hard skills, and you no, no doubt got soft skills out of it too. You know the emotional stuff, the thing that you know makes people that resonates with people. But you develop that beyond what you learned at JB Hi-Fi too. So totally, what mean, drives you, mate? Like how, how the fuck did you I – mean, what, what, I mean, apart from the fact you had a good purpose and you had a, a child who was allergic to some of the bandages that are out there in the marketplace and you come up with a solution, in other words, you identify a problem and found a solution, what drives you to continue to understand laterally and vertically every single aspect of this? I could draw a grid right now with – a hundred vertical lines and a hundred lateral lines, and I'll bet you you can fill in when it comes to your product products product lines. I'll bet you you can fill in every one of those hundred to the power of a hundred. I'll guarantee you. You can say you know color, fabric, you know environmental. There's there's hundred to the power of hundred things in there. So what drives you to fill all those in? What's wrong with your brain, man? Like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I take that as a massive compliment. It is a compliment. From you, so thank you very much. Um, I, I find that look, when you're driven on the fact of success, when it doesn't come about the money, um, we're driven on the fact of the goal of what we want to do with the product. My investors are probably thinking I'm going a bit crazy by saying that, but that's what's got us into 35 countries now. That's what's got us into so you're in 35 countries. 35 countries. We're in 20,000 plus retailers now in two years. Around the world. Around the world. 20,000. 20,000 retailers. 35 countries. I mean, I come. You're so understated. I mean, it's like, uh, like, you know, like you make it a big deal. That's like everyone's fucking dream who's ever come up with an idea about what they could retail. And it's an Aussie person who's done this. I, I reckon it's awesome. And as someone Thank who's you. gone to a, you know, like for me, I think about it, like you've gone, your parents have sent you to this really fancy, expensive school, you know, and with the greatest intentions. Like we all do that with our kids. Um, and then you've gone off and become a carpenter. You end up going to work at JB Hi-Fi and they probably thought of themselves a few times. Fuck, and like all that money we spend, and uh, James and I working for JB Hi-Fi, shelving stuff, putting stuff on the shelves. And, mate, this dude has gone and worked out, taken what he's learned at JB Hi-Fi and turned it into a global business. Yep. How many um, years did that take? Uh, as far as the, this, this business itself, uh, the first problem happened with my son when he was uh, just in 2015 in, uh, in December. Um, we then developed the product over, over the period of time. We, we got it on the shelf, first shelf in October 2017. And uh, fuck off, 2009. Anyway, here we are. You're talking yep. about selling. You're joking me. No, 
That is, look, you know, like I, I was looking at my diary this morning and I, I said, oh, shit, I've got an early morning uh, pod and I've got another one on after you today. And uh, I thought, oh, what? and I checked the brief and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. And to be honest, like it's a fucking magnificent way for me to start my week. That's why I love <laughs> people in business. I mean, yep. you st- you were a small business. Now you're a big business, but yep. you start off as a small business. That's it. You start with a problem and you and we, and purpose is so fucking ex- important here, eh? 100%. And and my biggest thing about this is also to empowering the people that I've got around me now to to make something for themselves um, and drive the business the way that we're doing it now. Uh, that's just that's just got us into uh, some pretty significant award territory with uh, with Telstra. What have you won? Um, so we won the, uh, won the the ABA one hundred awards. We won product innovation, product excellence, and product uh, eco innovation. Um, then we won, took it over to America. We won product of the show at Expo West, wow. um, which gave us the big, big ramp up towards the US landscape. Because all the retail buyers are there. That's right, all mm. the retail buyers. So we're the typical Aussie show stopper that won the won the show, which is fantastic. We had uh, uh, all all the typical songs playing out of the out of the radio at the show, and and have having a lot of have a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and then we uh, we took it around. We won, uh, went to Europe, and we won product of Europe uh, for the eco. Eco Awards. Wow. Um, we've won Buyer's Choice Awards, you name it, around the world. So we've, we've got a good uh, good pool room building up. Um, but most recently we won the the Telstra Business uh, category in Melbourne and then we took out the Victorian title. This is, uh, I, you know, as I said earlier, the, my dream is to talk to people like you who come into my studio and then share – your success, well, not success, because uh, that sounds like you're skiding. Share all the journey, all the things, all the steps along the way into making yourself successful. And I know there's a lot more for you to do. It's such a unbelievable feeling for me to actually be in your company, to be oh, frank with you. It. It's Thank really you. fantastic. I love this. What's this new product here, this one I'm holding up? So the, these ones you're holding up now are our little on-the-go packs. So they're going to be the first first problem you have with – with these products is that you don't carry one of these around in your back pocket. So you're not going to carry one of the cylinders? No, you're not going to carry a cylinder around in your back pocket. It's so, a bit weird, yeah. Um, what we've done is developed a, a little wallet pack or purse pack that you can actually keep in your wallet or purse. So you're going on a picnic, so kids are going to fall over and hurt themselves. Fall over and hurt themselves. They don't have to, you don't have to pull out a piece of tissue and put it on a wound. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You yeah. just pop one of those out and put it straight on and – and uh, with, basically with everything that you're using, uh, you can literally throw it straight in the soil and it will break down. Yeah, I can see and I can imagine, um, yeah, because nothing worse than seeing filthy Band-Aids around the joint. Yep. Um, um, I can see mum's putting this in their handbag or dad's putting it in the back of their pocket, in their back pocket, or if they've got a handbag, I guess dad's going to wear handbags some, these days. I think some, I saw someone this morning with a handbag walking in. Yeah, well, they're, they're <laughs> nice, they're flat, they take up no space, and they're, they're probably the same size as a credit card, probably a bit lighter. Um, and there, I noticed on this one, there's four in this one. So yep. uh, you go on somewhere, you know, and the kids are like, they're going to fall over. That's right. No matter what. they. Gr- oh, I've got a grandson, he's too, he, fuck me. Like he falls over every time I see him on Saturday. I see him every Saturday. My, he, I see him every Saturday. And uh, he's always running and he's always tripping. Yep. He's, and uh, this is the sort of stuff. This, I think this is a great, again, a great practical bit of packaging. It's fantastic. And I'm looking at Liv here who's about to have a baby, maybe not about to, but like, I mean, some months from away, and she's probably thinking, so I've got to get some of this shit. Yeah, Liv? <laughs> she's nodding <laughs> furiously there. Nodding her head. Yeah, and, and I, 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 I just think what you've done is fantastic. As I said, it's a great privilege for me to be able to interview you. 
I always give everyone an opportunity to ask me a question. I don't know if you've got a question. It sounds like you've got it all nailed to me, but have you got a question? No, I'd like to ask you a, a why question if I can. Yeah. Um, obviously, in your business career, um, as you've worked in multiple areas and, and uh, also in a space that I, I sort of quite know quite well in the, the finance space, what was your biggest achievement and, and, why, and why would you say it was your biggest achievement when you, when you were working? In terms of my business, your business, yeah. Oh, well, it's a bit like yours. Um, I managed to give one hundred and ten thousand people a home loan. So uh, there's one hundred and ten thousand people whose dream I actually helped them achieve. Yep. And and I like to think, and I don't know if it's quite correct, but I like to think that they may not have been able to achieve that if I hadn't been had my wizard business and my yellow brick road business. One hundred and ten thousand people now live in homes that they may not have got may not have got a loan for. And the reason I say that is because. I give people a, a choice. So if you walked into Westpac Bank, for argument's sake, and said to Westpac, oh, look, I want to apply for a loan, and they, and they, for some reason they knock you back, they're not going to tell you go on the road because we know NAB's got a great product or Citibank's got a great product and or even Yellowbrick Road's got a great product. So my product line basically says, if you fail the first application, I'll find you somewhere to who'll give you a home loan. Hmm. So I take away that... Um, that drop dead scenario that you get when you go to your transaction bank to get a loan. I take away that drop dead. So in other words, I like to think to myself that I make more options available to somebody. And even if you don't fit those options, I've got my own product as well, my own manufactured product, which I can put you into as well. Yep. And, and from that perspective, was that your focus? Was that was always, it, my always, focus. Your focus always my focus? Always your focus. Always my focus. Success of your customer. Always my, look, you know, I got, I'm, I'm a champion of the company. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 or I help people achieve their dreams. Yep. I mean, like my my business is a tough business. You know, we've been through royal commissions this year and last year. We've been through political change. We've been through regulatory environments. We've been through global financial crisis where we, we get blamed for everything. Um, the compliance environment, my my life is ridiculous. I'm also we're also a listed public company, so we have all this other listed rubbish you've got to put up with. You know, I've got shareholder issues, revolts. I've got trying to build a business from zero to something. You know, you run through periods of losses, etc. And I'm, sometimes I just get exasperated, like that's why I was asking you those those questions and exasperated. But then I look to what I'm doing and what I'm doing actually is the most important thing for me. So I help people get in a home and, uh, and or build an investment portfolio so they can retire comfortably. That's really important to me as well. Or buy a holiday home or extend their property, but get some more money to put a pool in there for the kids to play or put a granny flat for their mum and dad to live in. That's what drives me. I... And I don't always think about it, James. Often, mostly I only think about today when I'm really exasperated and I wake up two in the morning and think, well, fuck, what am I doing this for? And that's why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it just so I can work. No. I mean, I don't really need to work. Um, And really at my age, I probably should be thinking like a a very good friend of mine died. He's only, he died from cancer last week and he's only 12 years older than me, 75. And, uh, you know, let's say, for argument's sake, I only got 12 years to go. Um, you know, which on average probably is right. Um, why am I hitting my head against the wall every week? Like I've got an AGM coming up next week, which is going to be interesting. So, you know, and the regulatory environment sort of puts a lot of pressure on you with those AGMs. And I think to myself, well, I know I'm doing it. Otherwise I wouldn't fucking do it. I'm telling you now. Yeah. Same as mentored. I'm doing this mentor business because I want to interview people like you take from you in the nicest possible way and parlay that back to my audience and my audience can say, shit, I can do this. 
This guy didn't uh, graduate from from MIT with a you know an astrophysicist degree. He's a guy left school at fifteen or sixteen, went and did apprenticeship, worked to JB Hi-Fi. Now he's got a global business. Mm. I want my audience to hear that story, and that's what drives me. In both, we're on the same page. Lending money and helping people do better at business, and you're doing a brilliant job. Um, I wish you the best. Thanks for asking me that question because that's an important question for people to hear. And thanks for being here and good thanks, luck mate. in the future, mate. Really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, the little bit of this journey that's uh, become pretty big. So fucking cool, man. Let's go. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.